that we've been able to um, read together this semester, that we've been able to study together this semester, and God, that we've seen so clearly the way that um, we need you, and that you love us, and that you've come, and that you've rescued us. And so God, this morning, I just pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts again. Lord, I really pray that you'd be very, very present in this room, that you would um, just work in our hearts, Lord. I pray that you'd set people free from different things that they're struggling with today. God, that, that people that are struggling with anxiety, especially as, as the semester's wrapping up and finals are coming, God, just that uh, you would set people free from that, that, that we wouldn't be gripped with fear and worry. Um, God, that we live as people that are transformed by you. So we love you. We celebrate what you did. And God, we just, we just want to lift that up to you today. We want to celebrate you uh, with the way that, that we pay attention to your word. And we want to celebrate you with the way we sing. And we want to celebrate you with the way we live. So be with us today, Lord. We love you and pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Okay, so we are going to be in uh, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 31. It'll be up on the screen here. What then... Shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long, for we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, what an awesome passage this is. Romans 8 uh, as a chapter is a lot of people's favorite chapter in the Bible. And I think this is one of the most triumphant passages in Scripture that's just kind of letting us know God is for you. Right? Like, for some of us, if we just started to believe that, that God is for you, that would totally transform your life. Knowing and believing this is essential for having a healthy and empowering relationship. You know, even in human relationships, you know one of the ways that you can know that you have a healthy relationship? One of the ways you can tell that you're in a healthy relationship is if you know and believe that the other person is actually for you. Like that they actually are on your side, they're supporting you, they have your back, they genuinely care about your good. Marrying my wife Cassie was actually a really easy decision. It's funny because you think like, it's one of the biggest decisions I've ever made. You, you're entering into this union and you're going to be stuck with this person for the rest of your life, like till death do you part. And you think, man, that, that would be really, really stressful. Um, and I can't speak for everybody. Maybe for some people that decision was stressful. I thought it was going to be for me. But it actually ended up being really easy. And this is one of the reasons why. 
because really pretty much from the beginning of our relationship, I had no doubt that she was for me. Like, like that she knew the genuine person that I was. I didn't have to put on a front. I didn't have to act like somebody else or anything like that. She knew who I was and I knew who she was. And that she was genuinely for me. Like she actually loved me. That she was actually supportive of me. That she, she actually wanted my best. Like she wasn't just in this for her own gratification. And man, when, when the other person really knows you and they're really supportive of the real you, then you know that you have something special. And that goes not just for dating relationships, actually, but friendships, too. You know that you have a real friendship when the other person is actually for you and not just looking for their own gratification. Honestly, you're blessed if you have maybe like one or two relationships like this in your life where you know that the other person is actually for you, cares about you, and isn't just in it for their own good. Um, this is one of the reasons I'd say that kids who have truly supportive parents, not coddling parents, but ones that are genuinely supportive, have a huge advantage in life because they know that they've got someone in their corner. But guys, regardless of whatever background you've grown up in or anything like that, whether you have supportive parents or not, one thing I can say is this is an area where the church should be such a blessing to you. Man, as a church family, we should actually have a lot of relationships like this. Like I said, you're lucky... In, in most situations, if you have one or two people that genuinely are for you and care about you. But we are people that by God's grace should actually have a lot more. And by God's grace, I can say that I actually have relationships with many of you guys where I believe that you're truly for me. That I'm not just your friend because you feel like you can get something out of me or because I add certain value to your life, but that you actually care about me. And I hope that many of you feel like you have a lot of relationships like that with the people that are in this room. And if you don't, then I hope and pray that you're going to start moving in a direction where you can have that because these are when relationships get really healthy, when you can actually know that. But as awesome as it is to have human relationships, it's even better to have a relationship like this with God. Right, like the best people at times are going to fail us, they're going to hurt us, but God does not fail us, and he can't be beaten. And you think about this, if God is actually for you, and he's actually supportive of you, he actually cares about your good, he's actually on your side, you're his teammate, then who can stand against you? No one, right? Like literally, th there are so many things that we fear in life, right? Like, a lot of us live life as an anxious mess where we have no confidence in ourselves. We're not afraid to take risks. And it's strange because the God of the universe is with us. Right? Like that's when the scripture talks about if God is for us, who can stand against us? Nobody. Right? Like my favorite Disney movie is Aladdin. And uh, my, my favorite Disney character is the genie, the Robin Williams version. And uh, my, my favorite Disney song is Friend Like Me. And uh, there's a lot of ways that God and the genie are very different from each other, okay? So don't, don't, tell, don't think that God's your personal genie, that you can just ask him to do whatever you want. But uh, in the song Friend Like Me, I've got, yeah, the, see, there's this line. He says, um, you've got some power in your corner now, some heavy ammunition in your camp. And he's trying to help Aladdin realize, like, Dude, do you know what you stumbled upon? Like, you, you have basically just walked into having this, a friend, there, you haven't had a friend like me. Like, there, there's nobody else that can do the kind of things that I do. Like, I'm in your corner, you have heavy ammunition in your camp, and uh, you've never had anything like this before. 
And honestly, guys, like, th- this is the amazing thing that we get to walk into when we become Christians. Not that we can rub a lamp and just ask God to do whatever we want him to do for us. That's not what I'm saying. But the sense that we have the almighty God of the universe that's in our corner. Man, that, like, who, who can go against God and win? Nobody. Like, he, he created everything. Why, why are we scared of, of, you know, people that might reject us? Or of a, a mean thing that somebody might say to us, or, or even of, of failing a class, or anything that might come up in our lives. Guys, why, why do we live in so much fear when we know that the God of the universe is in our corner? Man, I think that most of us know or believe that God is all-powerful, right? Like if I was to give you a quiz and, and ask you to, to tell me your doctrine and what you believe about God, I think that most of us would say that we believe he's all-powerful, and maybe we actually do. But I think that maybe what we have a harder time believing is that, that truth that he's actually for us. So yeah, maybe he can do anything he wants, but does he actually care about me? Like, does he really want to help me when I'm in, in a difficult situation? I know for me, that's my hang-up, at least. I have no issue believing that God's all-powerful. But I do have an issue still, like, sometimes believing that he actually cares about me. That he's actually for me. But look at this text, what what Paul says to prove this, because I think he knows we're going to have a hard time believing this. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul's saying, guys, look, God loves you so much and wants to bless you so much that he delivered his son over for you. Right? Like, there's no greater statement of love that he could make. There's no, there's no way that he could show you that he's for you and cares about you more than he did by doing this. I think that most of us here are willing to sacrifice things for other people. Right? Like, if somebody uh, asks you for $5, you're, you're probably willing to give $5 to a friend in need. Um, but I think most of us also have maybe certain limits on what we're willing to sacrifice for other people. So if your friend comes and asks you for $5 because they don't have lunch money or something, you might be willing to do that. But if your friend's like, hey, I kind of need a new car. Would you mind giving me yours? You might let them borrow it, but like, you're probably not going to just hand them the keys and the title and say, yeah, here you go. Here's your car. Some of you might be generous enough to do that. But um, for, for many of us, I think there's kind of limits on what we're willing to sacrifice. Um, but what, what Paul is trying to help us realize here is that God has sacrificed for us something that's even more valuable than a car, which I'm assuming for a lot of you is your most valuable possession. So way more. He says, God has proven his love for you and how much he cares about you by, by delivering over his very son. Like, what more could there be? If he gave us Jesus, is he going to hold back on something else? <laughs> like, everything else pales in comparison. He delivered Jesus over for us, then what does that say about the way he cares for us and that he wants what's best for us? God loves you. The scriptures make that very clear. His actions make that very clear. No one is going to come and convince him otherwise. Right? Look at what Paul goes on to, to write here in Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. 
when Satan or anyone else comes and wants to bring a charge against you, try to convince God of why he shouldn't love you, why he should walk away from you, why he should give up on you, uh, that's not going to fly. Who's going to bring a charge? God is the one who justifies. You know what that means? God is the one that's declared you not guilty. It wasn't like somebody else declared you not guilty, and then Satan's coming and asking God for an appeal to say, wait a second, are you sure that you really want to love this guy? Are you sure that you really want this person to be in your family? It wasn't some other person that made the decision. God is the one that justifies. He's the one that's already declared you as being not guilty. What in the world can Satan come and bring and, and put before God that he doesn't already know about you? He knows every last bit of it, and he's still said that I love you, and I declare you not guilty by the blood of Christ. He knows your sin, and he has forgiven you. And Jesus died and was raised for your sake, and he is standing at the right hand of the Father today. And he's speaking on your behalf, right? As if it wasn't enough already that God's the one that justifies. Paul reminds us that, that Jesus is there interceding for us. How cool is that? This, we, we read earlier in Romans 8 last week that the Spirit is praying for us. And now we see that the Son is here interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. Whenever you have guilt or doubt or anything that creeps in and makes you try to think that maybe God doesn't love you or maybe he's ready to give up on you or he's tired of you or something like that, remember that Jesus is standing at the hand of the Father interceding for you. Man, don't, don't fall into the idea that God doesn't care about you, that he's tired of you, or that you're going to fall out of his grace. Who cares what Satan has to say when Jesus is speaking on your behalf? We need to be people that view ourselves through the new identity that Jesus has given us. That God is the one that justifies. If he says you're not guilty, then what's it matter what you think? What's it matter what the world thinks? What's it matter what that person judging you thinks? Is there anything that could change that? Right, like, is there some way that we could become God's enemy again? Is he going to get tired of me and get rid of me? And, and this is a, a big theological debate that people have. Um, but, but here's what I say. Whether or not you can walk away from your relationship with Jesus, I, I don't know. I lean towards thinking that if you have a real relationship with Jesus, that's something that, that you're never going to walk out of. But regardless, what I can tell you is that God is not going to be the one that gives up on you. Like, he's not going to be the one that gets tired of you and casts you off. There's not anyone else that's going to come in and try and separate you from his love. Well, they may try to, but they're not going to. There's no circumstance that can do it. And, you know, when, when we have difficulties that come in life, that might tempt us to think that maybe God doesn't love us anymore, right? Like, I've met people like that where they think, man, I... I'm going through all this. Maybe, God's, maybe God just is, is done with me. Maybe he, he doesn't love me anymore. And Paul kind of gets into this here in Romans 8, 35 and 36. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Man, Paul and his friends that were spreading the gospel went through a lot of hard times, like a lot of really, really difficult times. And when those hard times come upon you, that might tempt you to think that God doesn't care about you anymore, that he's forgotten you in the midst of your difficulties. 
Why would he let people that he loves go through things like tribulation, distress, and persecution? <clears throat> many, many Christians <clears throat> go through these things all over the globe. And they have for a very long time. Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, has a lot of firsthand experience, though, which is why I really take what he's saying like with a lot of weight. This isn't a guy that's teaching theory, right? Like, remember, I told you this is a real letter written by a real person. Like, it's a historical document, the same way that historians would look at letters from other people or something. Like, like this is a real letter that was written to real people in Rome. And, and Paul, like, we have a pretty good account of a lot of the things that he went through in his life. And guys, when he's listing off all this kind of stuff, he's been through it firsthand. Like, look at this, tri tribulation. Tribulation is a term that refers to great trouble or suffering. You know how much trouble and suffering this guy went through? He was kicked out of, of so many towns. Just as I did a quick read, a quick skim through Acts uh, th this week, I, I saw him get kicked out of, I think it was at least five different cities in quick succession that I counted. Um, look at, th this was after, uh, he almost got stoned to death in uh, Lystra. So look at this, Acts 14, 19 to 22. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Man, you talk about tribulations, Paul went through it. And, and it, it didn't make him say, man, does God not love me anymore? Instead, he got up after nearly being stoned to death, kept on preaching, and eventually returned back to Lystra and was helping these people realize, man, it, it, we're going to go through a lot of things like this. Through many tribulations, we're going to enter the kingdom of God. What about distress? Distress refers to ex extreme anxiety, sorrow, or pain, and Paul had plenty of this. A lot of it came from concern for the churches that he planted. He said this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Can you imagine what it would have been like to Paul to be Paul, to be uh, taking the gospel uh, with literally your blood, sweat, and tears to all these different places of the earth, getting stoned, dragged out of cities, put in jail, all this kind of stuff. You lead these new people to Christ. There's no other Christians in the town. Like the, the church that you planted, they're all first-generation Christians. And now you're like, well, I need to go and plant other churches. How would you feel about the people that you just left back at the other city? Like, don't you think that you'd feel some weight for how they were doing? Paul was carrying this with him for all of these different churches. Imagine the kind of distress that he had, thinking about that. And not to mention there's false teachers that are coming in, right? They're, they're experiencing persecution. There's people that are coming in and preaching messages that are contrary to the gospel. You see him constantly writing against these kind of things in his letters. You know, in the next chapter of Romans, we see not only that he had distress for, for all these churches, but he had distress for people that didn't know Jesus, that he wanted to know Jesus. He says this in, in the next few verses, Romans 9, 2 to 3. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What he's saying here, Paul was a Jew, ethnically. And he's saying, man, most of my fellow Jews... They don't know Jesus. And, and, and I'm in so much distress over their state that I wish I could give up my own salvation for them. Yes, Paul was a man that was familiar with distress. 
How about persecution? He went through a ton of this. We already talked about it some when we mentioned the tribulation. Uh, I talked about all the different cities, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Thessalonica, Berea. He was driven out of each of these in succession because of his preaching. Uh, He was imprisoned, beaten, nearly killed, and in all likelihood eventually killed because of his witness for the gospel, although we don't have an accounting of that in Scripture. How about famine? He had been through it, and he had helped others through it. Matter of fact, one of the earlier things that Paul did before he even started going on all these missionary journeys was taking famine relief to the Christians that were in Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. How about nakedness? He experienced this too. He said this in 2 Corinthians, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Didn't always have the clothing that he needed. How about peril? Check. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. He had been in pretty much every kind of danger that you could think of. Right? And how about the sword? One of his fellow Christian leaders uh, was actually put to death by the sword right around the time that he started his first missionary journey. Uh, we see this in Acts 12, 1 to 2. This is right after he got sent off to uh, go do the famine relief. It says, Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When Paul is listing off all these kind of things that can't separate us from the love of God, he's not just like trying to think of hypotheticals. Uh, he, these are all real things that this man went through. And so I know that, that for some of you guys, you're going through trials, you're going through tribulations, you're going through difficult times, you feel like you're in distress, whatever it may be, and I don't want to minimize that. Um, life can be really hard sometimes. Some of you guys have been through a lot of really difficult things. Some of you are still going through a lot of really difficult things. But what I would encourage you with is that, man, take, if you don't want to take it from me, then take it from Paul who had been through everything you can think of that this stuff doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. As a matter of fact, he loves you through every bit of this. If you're wondering that God still loves you, if he still loves you, the answer is resoundingly yes. Paul, the guy that had been through all this so much to the point that he said he was like a sheep being slaughtered, he said this, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that's like an amen kind of passage there, right? Like, amen, that stuff can't do anything to separate us. We overwhelmingly conquer in Christ. When Satan tries to accuse you and make you think that God doesn't love you, remember that God is the one who justifies you and Jesus is the one interceding for you. When troubles come your way and you experience great difficulty in life, remember that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Things are hard. He loves you through the midst of it. You know, the reason that Paul was able to keep going despite all of the difficulty that he experienced is because he said that he was convinced convinced that nothing could separate him from the love of God. 
He didn't just kind of believe it. He didn't think it was probable. He was convinced. And guys, I think this is going to make the difference for us when we find ourselves going through all these kind of things for how we weather the storm. When, when the storms come, when the, the difficulties, when peril and sword and nakedness and famine, distress, whatever it may be, comes your way, are you convinced that it cannot separate you from the love of God? Because Paul was. And man, I, I want to be too. I, I say that I am, and, I, and, and when trials come, I guess that's what really tests it. But what's this mean for us? What's this mean for how we should live our lives? Like, what, what kind of impact does this reality about God's unconquerable love have on our lives? You know, the, the text talks about us overwhelmingly conquering. Some translations talk about us being more than conquerors. We're talking about like a, like a cats by 90 type of win here, right? It's like it's not just that we kind of squeak by. I mean, we're talking blowout wins um, over these kind of things. And we're not conquerors because we're so great. Right? When I talked about it, it's like, I want a state championship my sophomore year, not because I was a great player, but because I was connected to great players. And in the same way as we overwhelmingly conquer, it's not because uh, we in our own power are so great and strong, but it's rather because we're connected to the almighty God of the universe. And if he's for us, then who can stand against us? We have the teammate that's so good, there's no way we can lose. And so with this, man, we should be people that are courageous, right? Like, we're, we're at war. We, we are. We, we're in a spiritual war right now. And, and wars uh, require courage, right? Soldiers don't make it through wars uh, that, that don't have courage. They don't win wars that don't have courage. And guys, we, we need to fight our internal battles courageously, right? You, you think about even fighting a war, you have kind of the defensive and the offensive uh, aspects of it. Defensively, you have to defend your borders, right? Like if you just go all out and attack and, and you don't defend any of your borders, then the enemy can come in behind you and, and wreak havoc. So first, we, we've talked a lot in Romans about this idea of battling sin, about dying to sin, no longer being slaves to it living in this new life that God has given us. That we, we need to be people that do that, that realize that in him, we have the power to actually transform our lives, to be people that no longer walk in all this sin that we've died to. Right, that we would fight that internal battle, that we wouldn't give anxiety, worry, fear, lust, pride, we wouldn't harbor that stuff in our hearts and our minds anymore. Right, like that, that's the internal battle that we've got going on there. But we also need to be people that fight our external battles courageously. That we actually get to be people that go on the attack. Right? And when we do that, we get to be people that bring light into dark places. Right? Like that's what Jesus did when, when he came. We're celebrating this at Christmas. And uh, when, when John opens up his gospel in John chapter 1, he talks about the way that the light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. I actually, lo I don't know if this is why we do Christmas lights. It may not be, but I love, I love Christmas lights. These are all mine. Um, these, are the, these are the spares after I got done with my own house. Um, I, I love Christmas lights, not just because of the way they look, although mainly because of the way they look. But um, I, I, I actually think it's really cool. And, and when we, we see Christmas lights at Christmas time, I think it should remind us of that thing in John 1 about the idea that light is brought into a dark place, that that's, that's what happened at the incarnation, right? Like, 
uh, the, John 1, 14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so it's cool, at this time of Christmas, that's actually what we're celebrating is the incarnation. That's just a word for saying God taking on flesh, coming into like carnal, incarnation, coming into flesh. And, and as Jesus came and dwelt among us, it was light dwelling in the dark. And the cool thing is that because we're in him, he's made us the light of the world. Right? Look at, look at what Jesus said here in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Man, may we be people that shine, right? Like, let's not put our light under a basket. Let's not, not be people that try to hide. Let's get on the lampstand. Let's go take light into dark places, the same way that Jesus stepped into this broken world, he's now called us to be light that steps into broken places. And guys, we get to do this with our actions, right? As he says, uh, let your good works shine before men that they may uh, glorify your Father in heaven, right? So uh, the way that we live, the way that we care for people, the way that we're generous, that we make sacrifices for each other, uh, the, the way that we listen, the way that we care, there, there's so many things that you can do with your actions, uh, volunteering places, um, just, just the way that you live. Like, if you can be one of those people that someone else can look at and say, yeah, that person's actually for me. Like, if you live your life that way, how much light are you bringing into a dark world? I said, those relationships are rare. Right? So, so we get to do that with our actions. We also get to do it with our words. Guys, that we get to be people that are ambassadors, that, that bring the truth of the gospel. I love, uh, you know, we looked at Paul's life, and he was getting beaten and stoned and put in prison and driven out of cities. You know why that, all that stuff was happening? Because he wouldn't shut his mouth about Jesus. He was bringing his, his, the, the light of Jesus into these places. And, and I said, this takes courage. And, and we live in a time and a place and a culture where we don't experience a lot of the same kind of difficulties that Paul did. But I know for most of us, we still have a lot of fear and anxiety about opening our mouths about Jesus. And I don't say that to guilt you. I actually say that to, to uh, identify with you. Right? I, I'm a person, I, I don't know how many times I've shared the gospel. Hundreds, if not over a thousand times. I, I don't know how many times. But I can tell you guys that I, I still have fear when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. You know, I looked at my life this past semester, and uh, I, was, I was realizing, man, I, I really haven't shared the gospel with that many people this semester. Like, I try to make that a regular rhythm of my life where I'm going and I'm talking with people that don't know Jesus. And it was definitely a part of my life, but not nearly as much as I expected to be or would like it to be. And, and I can tell you why. The reason was I was scared to do it. I was just scared to, to take the risk of starting new relationships with people. I was scared to take the risk of talking to strangers. I was, I was scared to take the risk. And, but, but guys, we, we get to be people of great courage. Like if God is for us, who can stand against us? This is the kind of truth where I say like this is life transformative, right? Because if we don't believe that God is for us, then we are, we're, we're likely to be cowards. It's easy to be scared. It's easy to worry about all the kind of bad things that might happen in your life if you try to be obedient to what God calls you to. But when you realize that the Lord is with you, like, what kind of courage does that give you to go and, and share the gospel with whoever it may be? Many of you guys are going back home to friends and family members that do not know Jesus. And I know that there's a lot of great fear that you can have, like, oh my goodness, like, 
what are they going to think of me? Like, are they going to think I'm a Jesus freak? Is it going to ruin our relationship? Like, what, there, there's a million reasons we can think of for why we shouldn't talk to a friend or a family member about Jesus. But pretty much all of it comes back down to fear. And it, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? The, the God of the universe is literally with you. And I, when I talk about God being for you or with you, I'm not saying everything always goes the way you want it to, right? Like, I don't think Paul wanted to be stoned within a hair's breadth of death. I, I don't think that was his desire, <laughs> right? So that's clearly not how he looked at it when he talks about God being for us. But, but he knew that no matter what happened, even if he had been stoned to death, even if, he has, even if you are killed, right? Like, we're going to be raised. Like, we literally have eternal life. And this is one of those things where it's like, you don't know how it's going to go. You hope and you pray that as, as you're faithful to the Lord and as you take risks in your faith, that things go great. But even if you experience persecution or tribulation or, or peril or sword or any of these kind of things that, that Paul is talking about, the, the worst that can happen is that your flesh dies, which is going to happen at some point anyway. And, and God has given us eternal life. He, he's going to raise us together with him. He is for us. There is nothing that can beat him. And so, man, I just hope and pray that we would be people that live in the courage and the boldness that comes from being united with God. Christians should not be weak, timid, fearful people. Are we that in our flesh? Yes. If you're weak, timid, and fearful, come on in. There is tons of room for you in God's kingdom. But what I want you to know is that as you are united with him, that he should be transforming that. And that you got to believe, man, that he loves you, he cares about you, and his church can become bold and powerful and impactful. And it changes the world, and it has changed the world. It has changed the world, and guys, we get to continue in the legacy of a lot of awesome people that have walked before us. Let's not drop the ball. Let's not be cowards because we fail to realize the fact that God is for us. And so not only should we be people that are courageous, but we should be people that are resilient. Conquerors don't give up, right? Like in, in Christ, we have the power to persevere. It's not like we're not going to take some damage, right? Like we're at war. You, you, don't, you don't win wars without taking damage. It's going to happen. There's times where we're going to face struggles. There's times where uh, we're going we're gonna to fall. There's times where you might feel like giving up. There's times where you're going to realize, like I did, that you're living in a lot, a lot of fear. There's times you're going to realize, like, I I'm really struggling with overcoming this sin issue in my life. Whatever it may be. The, the way that you're a conqueror is that you continue to persevere in Christ. You don't let momentary defeats define you. Don't, don't view yourself based on how you've done this past week or this past month or whatever. View yourself based on the identity that God has given you. And that is something that's going to allow you to continue to get up every single time that you fall. That you persevere through every kind of difficulty. I love what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4. He's talking about uh, this, this idea of persevering through all this difficulty. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power uh, will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. 
perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that in the life of Jesus also, uh, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. What Paul is saying is, it's like, man, it's part of God's strategy that he put his power in these weak vessels like us. Because in that, he's glorified. In that, he's glorified, guys. So don't let your weakness think that, that God can't use you or something. God loves to use weak people. And, and you get to continue to persevere through every single trial. When you fall down, when you stumble, when you get knocked down, when difficulty comes, keep getting back up. That's what the righteous man does, guys. That, that's how we persevere in the faith. We don't let our failures define us. And so, as many of you guys, uh, you're, you're going into your finals week. I know a lot of you um, are going back home for break. If you're still going to be here, like we said, we're still going to be having service. Things are going to, we're going to take a break from Romans until the uh, next semester starts. Uh, but we're still going to be here. We're still going to be worshiping together. But whatever your uh, Christmas break holds for you, I hope and pray that you go forward as courageous and resilient people. That you go forth in boldness. That you go forth knowing that the God of the universe is with you. He's in your corner. He has given you power to go and bring light into dark places. Things aren't always going to be easy. We don't know what's going to happen. But we don't really need to know what's going to happen. We don't, we don't need to know what every earthly result is going to be because we know what the final result is going to be, which is that we get to live with the Lord for eternity. And so may we be people that live without fear, May we be people that, that don't just fall back into bad habits as we go home into old environments, uh, maybe that where sin was a really familiar thing for us. You know, if you do, get up. Get up. Every time you fall, remember that you're a conqueror. Refresh your mind with that truth. Guys, I, I love you, and God loves you, he is for you. And if he is for you, who can stand against you? Let's pray. Um, God, we love you. And uh, we just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that uh, in you, we overwhelmingly conquer. God, there, there's nothing that can separate us from you. It's, it's no, no kind of thing like tribulation or peril or distress or uh, no created thing, angels, demons, height, depth, there's, there's no place we can go to flee from you, nothing, Lord. You're God Almighty. And God, right now, like, we, we just confess we're jars of clay, like Paul was talking about. We're, we're frail, we're weak. And God, I, I just know, even in myself, God, so often I lack the courage that I should have because of being united with you. But Lord, I just pray daily that you would refresh my mind with truth. Uh, that you'd help me to take up my cross every day and follow you. God, I thank you for, for this church body, for this family of believers. Lord, I pray that we'd be people that really strengthen each other and empower each other, and that uh, as your love transforms us, that we would have a kind of love for each other that, that's really special. God, that, that we would really learn to love the way that you love us that we'd learn from the best, God, that, that we'd care for each other, that, that just as you are for us, that we would really be for each other. 
Lord, empower us. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that the spirit is praying for us. We thank you that Jesus is interceding for us. We thank you that you're with us, Lord. You're worthy of our praise, and we just want to give it to you. So we love you and pray this.